Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. tooth-related toothache, an age-old conundrum that seems to trouble us all. So what exactly is the cause of it and what do we do about it? Welcome back to What I Wish I Knew. My name's Erica Huynh and we're back again with Dr. Amanda Foon Noon to talk about oral facial pain. Now, I didn't quite realise just how complicated and how little I knew about this topic until Dr. Amanda started telling me about the complexities of the biopsychosocial model of pain and all the different diagnoses and tests that as oral medicine specialists they conduct to help diagnose these patients. In this episode, we talk about what we should do as general dentists when these patients come in through our doors, the tests that we should undertake to rule out any odontogenic causes and how we liaise with specialists, whether that be oral medicine specialists or neurologists or other people in the industry. We then dive into what Dr. Amanda would do when these patients walk through her door and the history she tries to elicit and how she might go about managing these patients. Look. I'll be honest, this is quite an intense and full-on discussion, but I find it really fascinating to hear about the ins and outs of these conditions. And I think as general dentists, we really need to see it from a specialist's point of view to truly appreciate these conditions and to really understand where we sit as general dentists in the overall holistic management and treatment of these patients. So I hope this gives you all a little bit of insight into the world of oral facial pain. Yeah, I suppose the, the biggest point that I want to give is that if you cannot replicate the pain, don't take the tooth out or don't start root canal. And I know it's exceedingly difficult to do because I've got good friends who are excellent dentists and the patient comes to see them. The patient's in tears, um, you know, really suffering, really struggling, can't sleep, can't eat, can't work. And they are convinced that it's the tooth and they just need it out. I mean, we've all seen patients in really severe toothache. Like, it's, it's horrible. Um, and then our natural instinct obviously is to want to help right so even if we're not 100% sure even if there's that little tiny voice in the back of our head like oh you know maybe it's not really the tooth um it's very understandable i feel that we want to help by taking the tooth out or by doing a root canal treatment i suppose it is a biased uh patient pool that i see because i see a disproportional a disproportionately high number of patients who then obviously get referred to me because it wasn't the tooth like i get it like i really do like i completely understand how how difficult it must be but i think patients would be better served if the dentist is really not sure to stand their ground. Uh, and I know they've got to stand their ground in the face of the patient being in so much pain and telling them they, they've got to wait. But then once you take the tooth out, you know, say, for example, it's a um, trigeminal neuropathy, right? Or a persistent dental alveolar pain that the patient has. Um, it, a lot of some of these pain conditions that, that we're talking about, it is actually difficult to restore the tooth after. Because if the nerves in the area are damaged or they are not functioning properly, patients are basically in higher amounts of pain. It can be very difficult, for example, to put an implant or a denture or a bridge in the area because the patient may not be able to tolerate it because the nerves are so sensitive. So it's like putting um, it's like putting a denture over an area that's already sensitive. Like the denture will never feel comfortable for the patient. So 
I think where possible it's, it's really good to try and avoid doing that and I think that's the, that's the biggest point that I would like to make I think in this segment here is that if you cannot replicate the pain if you take the PA there's no periapical radiolucency um, if you there's no dental caries like if it's if you really don't think it's the tooth, don't take it out. I mean, I've got many, many cases where patients come in and they've had the tooth taken out because the thing is that as well, if you don't take the tooth out, they will probably go to the dentist down the road to try their luck there, right? Because these patients are desperate. Um, so, so as I see a lot of these cases, um, and what happens when you take the tooth out? The pain obviously doesn't go away. Um, sometimes it goes away temporarily, but it comes back. It comes back to the tooth in front. And then, you know, I've I've seen cases where patients have had root canal treatment on, on almost every tooth because the pain just keeps moving to the tooth in front, moving to the tooth in front, moving to the tooth in front. And then... Um, they, they find a different dentist and these patients, it is not their fault. Um, I don't think they're doing it on purpose, but they're so desperate. Um, and there's, and by this stage, they know what to say, right? When they, when they come in to see you, um, it would be either a combination of I'm so desperate. No one else has, no one else has been able to help me, but I've looked you up online and you've got, you know, you've got all of this training. I'm sure you're the one that's going to help me. Like it's so hard to tell the patient in that case, like, Oh, actually no. Like, you know, so the patients know what they say. Like they tell you that that you are the only one that can help them. They are desperate. Um, they tell you that they've seen every other dentist and no one else can help them. And then we oh, we've all heard these stories from patients basically where the other dentist did something wrong, the other dentist didn't do something right. The truth is always somewhere in between, right? Um, so so you get you get you you basically get, get caught in the situation. Um, and I think the patient would be better off having their um, not having their tooth taken out i mean it's quite interesting because i there was a dental forum um that i'm part of that i think someone posted a case uh where and it was it was a, a, nothing against the dentist like obviously very well meaning patient in a lot of pain didn't know what to do didn't think it was the tooth um and then i think i commented and i was like look if you don't think it's the tooth then then i don't think you should take the tooth out. i think you should refer to the patient and then the dentist was like the patient's already seen like all of these different specialists and the patient feels like they're going no where a couple points from that post one of it is that there were a couple of dentists who jumped in and said that there were cases where they took the tooth out and the pain went away i mean i don't think that's i don't think that's helpful because a um you know it's anecdotal and b obviously there will be some cases where it really was a tooth problem but you shouldn't be taking every tooth out on the off chance that it's a tooth problem like you you should be able to diagnose um an odontogenic source hopefully by that time so, so that's that's my first point. Like, I think just taking the tooth out on the small chance that oh, maybe maybe it will, it will, it will actually get rid of the pain. Like, that's that's a trap that everyone falls into, basically. The other point um, that, that that I told um, the the dentist who posted this anonymously, I was like, look, if you give the patient an option and you tell them that okay, fine, you don't think it's the tooth, but you will take the tooth out. I mean, of course, the patient's going to get the tooth out. Like the uh, like that. If you give the patient an, an option, they're always going to go with what they think the problem is. Um, part of the, our responsibility, I think, here is, as being dental professionals is educating the patient that you really don't think it's a tooth issue. And the patient won't ever go back because there are cases there where if the patient's not convinced that that's what their diagnosis is, and a lot of times that can be an issue with these types of diagnosis, if they're not convinced that that's what their diagnosis is, they're not going to go back to see the specialist and receive help. Um, a lot of times acceptance of the diagnosis this is the first stage and then if you think that and if you think about it if you're one dentist in a long line of dentists who are taking teeth out for the patients you're not helping the patient accept the diagnosis um they're, they're basically getting um you know hope 
um, that that something will happen. And then I think the dentist as well. Um, I'm assuming it's a he, by the way, it's anonymous, it could have been a she, but the dentist was like, oh, you know, the, the patient was telling me that she's already spent like thousands of dollars seeing all these specialists and getting all of this treatment done. Now, my response to that was like, look, you know, if you take the tooth out or you root canal the treat, if you root canal the tooth or, or whatever it is, and you don't solve her problem, then you would have added on um, amount of money and time and suffering onto the patient's burden. So I think we always need to come back to diagnosis where possible. I'm not saying that there are cases that there aren't cases where um, it was a toothache in the first place, but to be honest, those cases are very rare, especially when patients are seeing a specialist, because that's usually the first thing that we do. So if I get referred a patient with a non-specific facial pain, um, one of the immediate differentials in the first place that I would want to rule out as a dontogenic toothache. So lots of times, you know, patients would have all of these testing, they would have vitality or sensibility testing, they would have, you know, CBCTs, CTs, like as much as possible that could be done, that that would be the issue. The other thing is why I think in particular for this case, I can't remember details, sorry, I haven't looked at it in a while, but I think the patient obviously has been paying in a while, right, to go to see this many specialists because it takes a while to get him a specialist as well. If it's a toothache, it doesn't tend to behave like that. It either blows up and you get a massive toothache and you and you, you know you end up having the tooth. Like it becomes very obvious what the problem is, um, or the pain completely goes away because the tooth is necrotic and then it'll become a problem, you know, in the future potentially. Um, but to get this sort of nagging um, sort of pain that lasts for years, um, it, it doesn't sound odontogenic at all. Wow, that was a lot just then that I feel like Sorry. So much, I would love to, no, 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 not at all. I feel like there was so much that I'd love to unpack from that. And I think one thing in particular was just, yeah, you talking about, I kind of want to think about this, like the, the liaising between the general dentist and the specialist where, you know, the, the patient will come to the general dentist where they have this issue. And I guess you kind of type, um, talked about it right then about just all the tests that you would um, do to make sure that you've ruled out odontogenic causes. So like you said, sensibility testing, your PAs, any other radiographs that you would take. And I guess, would that be within just the general dentist scope of like, okay, I can't see any obvious odontogenic problem I think it's best that I'd refer it to a specialist. And then I guess my question was, as a specialist, what would you be doing to then figure out the problem? Because you were suggesting, I guess, trigeminal, trigeminal neuropathy, but could there be other causes for it as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's actually a uh, international classification of orofacial pain. It's a 200-page mm. document. Section six <laughs> of it will 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 outline all of this. So, so 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 that's a lot basically, and that's basically why why you send the patient to a specialist because um, ideally we will have. I mean we all have additional training and ideally we will have a handle on all of these uh, different types of diagnosis, whether it's neurovascular orofacial pain, myphase migraine, trigeminal neuralgia, neuritis, neuropathy, um, you know, idiopathic facial pains, um, atypical odontalgia, which is a, a, a sub-classification of that. So there's a lot of these different types and I don't think it is expected for um, a most general dentist to to diagnose that. I actually think it's very simple, right? So if you see a patient in a lot of pain, and you've ruled out a tooth issue, the patient should be should be referred. As to what specialist the patient should be referred to, then that will depend on who where where you are and who you have a relationship with. Um, so for example, um, you know, I, I get referred these these cases. Um, sometimes patients may be referred to neurology, for example. Um, like it, it just depends on where you are because um there's not oral medicine specialists in, in every state as well. So I think I think it's actually quite quite straightforward in the sense that if you cannot replicate the pain, if you cannot find the tooth and you don't think it's a tooth um get it get it checked out now occasionally it is the 
the tooth, right? So sometimes I see the patient and I do the testing. So the types of tests, I usually repeat the testing, but a lot of time it comes down to history as well. So that's why I expend an extensive amount of time because there are features, for example, of neuropathy, um, which will be quite different from toothache. So one of the big ones that um, I have noticed, um, none of these are hard and fast rules, by the way. So it's a bit of a combination of all the things that the patient are telling you. Duration of time, if there was a precipitating event, if there was a stressful event when it started, for example, I do have a few patients that do notice like the onset of severe facial pain, for example, um, with, with the death in the family. That that's an example. Um, it, what what exacerbates the pain? The quality of the pain, um, the intensity of the pain. So the quality of the pain, for example, if the patient's describing things like burning or tingling, um, that doesn't really sound toothache like, or you know, sharp lancinating, like someone's um, driving a hot poker in their face and stuff like that. That doesn't sound really toothache um, the big one that i've noticed um hot cold sensitivity if there's hot cold sensitivity more i i would be thinking more tooth like ra- um, more dontogenic rather than not um, whether the pain wakes them up at night toothache is one of the rare things that will wake the patient up at night when they're sleeping so the distinction is that if you find it difficult to fall asleep due to pain um, that's fine that, that that could be any pain but if you're already asleep and the pain wakes you up um, trigeminal neuralgia, for example, doesn't do that, but hypnic headaches and toothaches can do that. Um, so there's all of these sort of like um, history taking that can actually give us a bit of an idea as well about what, what the issue is. Um, and then I refer for imaging. So if need be, I refer patients for CBCT imaging, for CT imaging. If based on the patient's history and examination and imaging, um, say it's non-specific because there are some cases where they're just very difficult to diagnose um, then I will of course refer the patient to you know um, I'll let the general dentist know look I think maybe let's get um, let's get an endodontist involved so that's happened before as well so um, it's very individual but it's really a little bit like putting the putting the puzzle pieces together um, based on the history and examination findings to decide whether it's tooth whether it's not um, one of the the big ones that I think is really important not to miss for example is referred pain from a cardiac issue we all know like people with a heart attack right they can get they can get pain from their arm and they can also get jaw pain for that sometimes they can get you know pain from teeth or from their mandible um, so it's all of these sort of different causes of pain that I think is quite important to um, sift through basically um, with the uh, referred cardiac pain, so the cardiac toothache, um, a big feature of that is actually pain on exertion. So you ask the patient, like, you know, have, if you run around or if you walk upstairs quickly or anything like that, does it make the pain worse? If the patient does have a history, for example, of cardiac issues, or if they're having to use GTN spray all the time because it's very poorly controlled, stuff like that, um, ED or doctor, yeah, usually ED. So there's all of this. So that one I think is a really useful one for for the dentist to know. That's a, that's a good tip. Um, but basically, I think if you can't replicate the pain, you just need to. Uh, the, the biggest question then is: is which specialist will you will you refer to? Yeah, mm. I think what's also really interesting is as you talk about the different classifications of the oral facial pain, it really puts into spe- to perspective why taking the tooth out wouldn't help with anything. For example, when you're just talking about like the cardiac related pain, where it's because of cardiovascular issue, it kind of then makes sense that yeah, it taking out the tooth isn't really going to do anything about yeah. it. You can get pri- you can get headaches as well and stuff like that. TMD that can refer to teeth as well. So taking out the teeth won't 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 solve those issues. 
And I guess figuring out what exactly the cause of it then influences how you will go about managing and treating that patient, for example. And I wanted to ask if it was like a neuropathic pain, how do you go about treating that for a patient? It's usually, um, it's usually, it can be multimodal or multidisciplinary. Um, pharmacotherapy is usually quite important, but these patients usually have quite a significant psychosocial uh, history or psychosocial burden, so that has to be treated as well. Sometimes we get a psychologist involved um, in pharmacotherapy. If the patient has multiple comorbid conditions, they may be seeing a specialist pain physician already anyway, and we get involved with them. Uh, if we suspect that, for example, if their pain is due to cancer, which is possible, or a medical condition like multiple sclerosis, then obviously we get medical teams involved as well. Um, sometimes we get neurology involved, inf- interventional pain specialists. Um, it's, it's, it's a big, like, big feel. Like, <laughs> so yeah. every, every patient's, yeah, so every patient's different. And the thing with the medications as well is that different pain conditions will be treated with different medications. So I'm not talking like paracetamol and or, you know, um, oxycodone and stuff like that. They're usually more chronic pain medications, Lyrica and your tricyclic antidepressants, your SNRIs, um, carbamazepine, carbamazepine or Tegretol can be used for te- trigeminal neuralgia. I don't recommend general dentists, um, prescribe those to be honest a lot of side effects a lot of these medications have side effects as well so that's why we um you know in particular want to make sure sometimes we send patients for blood tests beforehand make sure that their kidneys and their liver and things like that are functioning properly before putting them on the medication i'm checking for interactions for example so carbamazepine is one of the ones um, that can be effective for grapefruit <laughs> so yeah. you know it's, it's all, all, yeah so so there's there's all of these things but gen but generally um it would be pharmacotherapy so it would be some sort of medication because we're talking about nerves that would be um most most likely the first thing that we'll try sometimes there can be um supplements um there are different supplements that can help for example alpha lipoic acid for budding mass syndrome or palmitoethylidinide can be uh, has been used in some um, pain clinics as well um botox sometimes can be used in um you know migraines and things like that as well so supplements medications and then we can't uh, obviously we can't forget like the supportive things like cognitive behavior therapy be mindfulness, um, psych, uh, psychology or psychiatry input. Ripe Global is an incredible resource, especially in these times where travel is a little bit difficult, but we're also realizing it's not always necessary for our education. Especially when we're starting our career, we just want to get as much as we can and a platform like Ripe Global's membership is perfect for that. But Ripe Global is a lot more than that. They've got the fellowship in restorative dentistry and while it's already started with the posterior dentistry course, they've just released the anterior dentistry course, one where you're going to learn about composites, aesthetics, isolation and indirect work as well. One of the hardest things to do in dentistry is the single front tooth and this course is aimed at helping you improve that skill. Find out more at ripeglobal.com or check out the show notes and you can get 30% off a membership all from the comfort of your own home. And one last thing I wanted to ask you about this, I think you alluded to it just at the beginning when you were talking about perhaps more iatrogenic causes of yep. this. And I think you mentioned like, is it PDAP, like post-dental alveolar pain? Is that what it is? Uh, it's post-traumatic trigeminal neuropathic pain. Oh, she doesn't got that wrong. <laughs> No, no, no. Look, they, they all they all come under the same section yeah. anyway. Yeah. yeah. So there's a mm. lot of subclassifications in in all of this. But specifically, <laughs> you're talking about uh, specifically um if you're talking about iatrogenic and it's happened within six months, um, of of the of the dental injury, then that would 
usually be classified as post-traumatic trigeminal neuropathic pain. And how about like how does that get managed or how is that does that how does that typically present and then be managed? Yeah, usually fairly similarly. So usually when we're talking about these types of conditions, we want to make sure first of all that it's chronic pain and how often the pain is. So in most cases, and all of this, you know, um, the listeners are more than welcome to look at ICOP, ICOP-1 as well. It's freely available, but it will be more than two hours a day for more than three months. Uh, some of the different uh pain subtypes with different uh, descriptors of the pain but you want to make sure that uh, for example it's happening long enough and it's um, been longer than three months Um, and then you want to think about whether it's unilateral or bilateral sometimes that will give you a big tip for PTMP in particular you want to know what the trauma was because you're you're calling it post-traumatic. And then um, the other big things about using about diagnosing orofacial pain is that you would notice on a lot of the diagnostic criteria, it basically says not better accounted for another diagnosis, not better accounted for another ICHD, International Classification of Headache Disorders 3, or ICOP-1 diagnosis. So you have to know all of the different pain diagnoses to decide which one it is. And then you can have uh, multiple pain conditions. So the example that is given um, is a patient who has trigeminal neuralgia. Say they've got classical trigeminal neuralgia as the trigem uh, the, the trigeminal nerve basically impinges upon the uh, superior cerebra- cerebellar artery as it comes out yep and then um, it's an issue and then it's treated surgically for example they use microvascular decompression to, tra- to treat it then the patient dis- um, develops post-traumatic trigeminal neuropathic pain so they can have multiple diagnoses as well As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes, and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. said that like the psychosocial component like that also plays a big role in that how do you go about managing that aspect of it where different patients perceive pain in a different way and how much of that can be influenced from I guess just the way that you talk to a patient or like are there different approaches to that aspect yeah, so yeah. Uh, that's that's the entire second half of ICOP, <laughs> and when we're talking oh, about pain, no, 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 no. I, 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 I don't expect you to know it. I'm just sort of yeah, bringing yeah. it up because um, I, I, if people are interested, like I'm hoping that they will go and read that as well. Um, it's massive. So I don't think you can be treating chronic pain conditions without consideration, uh, without considering uh, biopsychosocial aspects uh, or the psychosocial aspect of pain, because there's a reason why acute pain. So for example. Um, if you if you hit you know if you hit ten people in the face, 
ten, um, nine, nine people are going to be fine. But in one person, that acute pain is going to persist for longer than three months and then become a chronic pain. There must be a reason why. Um, sometimes it's thought to be an association with some of these um uh, some of these uh, psychosocial factors, for example, not in the sense that the patient is making it up or anything like that, but if your body's pain system is primed, then it's a lot easier for your brain to respond to these pain signals. And that's called neuroplasticity. So if you have more pain signals that your brain is more receptive to receiving, your central nervous system can become sensitized and then you feel this pain more easily. So for example, um, uh, this is a useful tip actually, if you see a patient with more than one uh, central sensitization syndrome or comorbid pain condition, you have to be mindful that this is a patient that's in chronic pain and they may manifest chronic pain in the face. So the things I'm talking about, for example, could be fibromyalgia, um, you know, irritable bowel syndrome, Syndrome, non-specific back pain, vulvodynia, myofascial pain, temporomandibular joint disorders, non-specific headaches. Like, you know, if they've got all of these or if they've got more than one of these sort of conditions, you need to consider that the patient's um, central nervous system and pain system basically behaves differently. So yeah, so it's very important to consider that when we treat these conditions, we use the biopsychosocial model. So bio because biology, psychosocial because of these uh, psychological and social factors. And then we usually divide them into axis one and axis two when we think about treating them. Axis one would be, for example, your physical diagnosis. So for example, it would be myofascial pain right? Temporomandibular joint disorder, myofascial pain. And then the axis two would be that the patient has a background of anxiety and depression as well. So you can't, you have to consider it all when you're treating it. So I think um, it's, it's imperative, basically. You have to become, if you're treating orofacial pain, you have to be very comfortable in discussing these with your patients. Um, and you need to, um, you know, basically unpack a lot of this with them. Yeah, that's really fascinating. It's fascinating just how many different facets come into play with it. And I guess now that when we when we think of this in the context of that patient that you kind of um, were talking about before that's got spent so much money and gone to all these different um, dentists, it's interesting how that kind of all comes into play. And I'm sure once you see them and taking that history and considering all these different aspects, like how complicated it really is to treat this patient. I suppose the point that I really do want to make as well is that um, lots of times the specialist actually needs the general dentist as well because uh, there are some cases where the patients um, don't want this to be their diagnosis or they are convinced that there's something wrong in their tooth. Um, I've had a patient who had a fishbone lodged in her tongue um, two years ago and she's gone around to see every single specialist looking for someone to cut it out for her multiple imaging has been done um, the fishbone is no longer there so this is actually um, post-traumatic trigeminal neuropathic pain so she had the initial injury and she's always had that dysesthetic sensation in her tongue um, but I think I, I'm hoping that referrers will have a good relationship with the specialist that they speak to so they can talk to them about it because sometimes what I require is if the patient goes back and go oh no no um like Dr. Amanda didn't, didn't do anything she just wanted to put me on medication um that the referring dentist understands why and then it can be fed back to me for example because if the patient doesn't want to come back to see me because they spent a lot of money and all I did was put them on medication like that's useful information for me to know because I can get the patient back in and basically explain to them um why that is the case and why further surgical intervention is it could probably make things worse so i think lots of times especially with these sort of patients um you know we, we're, we're working in a team for them 
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's the theme, right? That we're all working yes. on it together. It's not that exactly. simple. <laughs> exactly. And then the other thing as well is that I do get dentists sometimes that are that feel bad that they've referred in a patient whose to, um, pain ended up being a tooth problem. Um, and you know don't, don't worry about it because these cases they're not straightforward cases because if they were straightforward cases you would have already diagnosed them there are a handful of patients yeah, where the pain um, either requires time or I have more information because I've been able to get more information with the passage of time or with further investigations um, and based on what the dentist information has sent through to be able to come to the answer so I think that's the other thing like like don't don't feel bad about that <laughs> like it's, it's, it's fine like we we um by by definition when specialists see these patients we are able to have more information based on what you've done as well um so there should be no um you know shame in these these cases like it, i think it's very normal like lots of times um not lots of times but occasionally i've got dentists who are my good friends so you know we, we have very honest conversations and they're like look i think i should just take it out because mrs x has promised me that she's not going to sue me and i don't think it's going to be an issue and you know it could probably help her and i'll be like mrs x says that now and you know in some cases the patient genuinely won't because they're, they're they're desperate they understand that you're helping them but you are going to if you if you play that game you're you're going to get a patient or two in the future who will completely forget that they begged you to take the tooth out and blame you for taking the tooth out after so that's also a dangerous yeah. game to play emotions are a very finicky thing right and just like when someone's in pain they may say all sorts of things and i guess it's kind of what road do you want to go down or dig your <laughs> what hole do you want to dig yourself into exactly because i'll be like look yeah. she, she may be the nicest patient but if you don't think it's the right thing to do it's going to be so hard to defend if she does complain Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.